0: To 30 Days of Hope. Thank you so much for joining us for another exciting episode. So grab that spouse, grab the couch, grab that nice glass of wine and sit down and enjoy this wonderful dose of hope. So today I'm with a wonderful new friend of mine, Jason Tucker. Welcome so much to the show.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here and to be talking with you on 30 Days of Hope. I think it's awesome and I'm glad to be a part of it.
0: Oh, thanks so much. So you're the, you're the lead pastor of Tower Hill Presbyterian Church in Red Bank, New Jersey. And, and for all everybody watching out there, so New York and New Jersey have really been the hotspots of this coronavirus.
1: Yeah, it has been, um, you know, early on, we really became the epicenter of the outbreak. And, you know, as such, we're gonna be in lockdown for a while. And it seems like as the rest of the world's talking about reopening, It's something that we're barely even having a conversation about yet, just because it's been so severe and scary for a lot of our folks, really.
0: Yeah, it feels so foreign. I think the oddest thing is, yes, we're all in this together, but some of us are at different stages within the planning process. Um, You know, I'm always looking at Murphy's updates and it's just, we're not even there yet, even being discussion of it. But you've experienced this firsthand, you and your wife. So what was it like experiencing COVID-19?
1: Yeah, so um, again, it was scary. I think, you know, I didn't tell the congregation right away,
0: mm.
1: I, I, but I did tell them. And I think, you know, one of the driving forces for telling them was to show that, you know, at the time, which was mid-March, right when the lockdown was happening, every news story you heard was, it seemed like a death sentence, everybody who got COVID-19, and that was it. Yeah. And I wanted to share that, well, no, we recovered, my wife and I recovered. And uh, I, it was tough on a couple of different levels. It was tough mm-hmm. personally because of the fear. You, you never knew, the thing about COVID-19, and I was considered to have a mild case because I wasn't hospitalized. Yeah. It didn't feel mild, no. but, <laughs> but it was, through that whole process, you're thinking with the symptoms, you, you could tell when you get it, your body doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't know what it's fighting. And so every day, it was almost like a a wheel that would be spun about what symptoms you were going to get. You didn't know if they were going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And then some symptoms would go away, and then other symptoms would get worse. And then you didn't know, like, is it going to get worse from here? There's just nobody to tell you how long it was going to take, how it was going to run its course. So that part was scary. And then there was the scary part about being a leader in, in such a critical time, and not I think it's easy for leaders to overfunction in times like this and I I'm sure I've been guilty of that and I know that I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are straight out overfunctioning right now but also the very real thing that my presence to the congregation is a source of peace mm-hmm. so trying to balance that when I'm maybe not feeling all that peaceful about what's going on was probably the hardest part but you know again going through it I think I couldn't help but thinking of Jesus. I mean, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but, you know, I was thinking that Jesus died of suffocation Mm. and how he could relate more than we realize Mm -hmm. to the suffering that's happening in the world right now. And I don't know, for some reason that gave me hope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about feeling almost in a place of incarnational, in, in, incarnational, where it's almost like experiencing what God felt and going from a place of sympathy to a place of empathy in, in so many different ways and kind of walking that road alongside God. D- did that give you peace, kind of having that picture in your mind to realize that God was beside you through this entire process?
1: Absolutely. And, but it was something like, it wasn't just, okay, I feel peaceful about it. Well, yeah. all right. Yeah, no, it, it, you know, like it was every day, mm. and I would just tell myself every day, faith over fear. Mm. And it sounds trite, it sounds simplistic, but it, it really worked. Yeah. Uh, it was just a, a daily kind of mantra, reminder, or, or an anchor for me,
0: mm. uh,
1: faith over fear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I feel like, you know, even just saying that, it's it's brought my faith to such a point where it's become so much more raw. And so much more authentic than it was before. It's not just this word that I say, it's, okay, how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to wake up and breathe just one more, one more, one more time? And I love the fact that you touched on the idea of as leaders and pastors, it's very easy for us to get into a place of being productive, because we want to give that assurance to people that we've been placed over and next to um, so self-care is a very difficult thing to balance and to really give ourselves permission to feel. So how have you personally taken this time to, yes, be productive, to re-strategize, um, and to really take this time to kind of re repivot your church, but also take that time to also self-balance yourself and, and your family as well?
1: Yeah, I think I think when it comes to this, it's... The trick is to remember that it's not all, we can't compartmentalize this stuff. We are integrated beings. And so as I'm doing the work and figuring out how to help pivot the church in a new direction or to move ministries online or whatever it is we have to do, I am at the same time having to make sure that I'm thinking just as hard about about self-care. Let me land that in a practical example. Yeah. Is, you know, right when the lockdown started March 16th and all we were hearing from the news cycle is, you know, doom, gloom. I said, look, here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm gonna do a devotional every day Mm -hmm. because I want to speak some kind of spiritual hope into the lives of my congregation, not just the fear that they're hearing from the outside. So I figured that's what they need. They don't need to talk about COVID-19. I got letters from like Coles telling me about COVID-19. Like, I don't need any more letters (laughs) about (laughs) COVID-19, So
0: If we got one more email, I was gonna scream. (laughs) Right, right,
1: right. Like I was, they didn't need one more of those. They needed me to speak Mm-hmm. Uh, about the hope of Jesus during that time much like you're doing and so I said okay I'm gonna do it 10-10 every day and uh, it, it was from uh, John 10-10 I've come okay. to bring in life and life to the full and so 10-10 I go on and it's a very it's just a very raw devotional I, I tell him ahead of time I said this is not a sermon I haven't thought out theologically everything I'm simply opening the word I've mm-hmm. thought of a couple of raw ideas and we're just gonna engage with the scripture and now, it, it, as we went through March, and I did that while I was sick, but I felt like I needed to for me um, more than doing it for them. Then, you know, as as it's gone on, and we got to May, we've been running so hard, so fast. With we want to get our live stream to a point that that we're really excited about, and that has taken a lot more work than we envisioned. And the idea is we're trying to build something that we want to carry with us into whatever the next phase looks like. So we want to make sure that we set that all up well. But as more of that happened and more leadership decisions, decisions to decisions are happening, I said, you know what I need to do? I need to back off the daily devotional a little bit. And I said, you know, I'm going to go down to three days a week for May and I may phase out to less than that when we get to June. Mm-hmm. And actually that was a tough decision because you know, were getting like, 80 to 100 people on there every day who were just like, this is the greatest thing ever. You got to keep doing yeah. this forever. And, you know, they're just like, you know, this has to keep going even when the thing ends. And I'm just like, I, I can't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I need to do you. that for my self-care. And that's just one example of, yeah. of just, it's all together.
0: Yeah. Well, it was funny that you said that. And I I felt guilty in the same way. I was all set and gung-ho to continue what I'd done with April. And that really was the only conviction that I'd had to really start 30 Days of Hope from April 1st through April 30th. And then, as you were saying, people just got online and they're like, oh, you need to continue this and do this. Um, and I think for a while, it wasn't so much a deep conviction of mine. It was more of a deep conviction to, to make sure that they had hope every day. You know, what's yeah. going to happen if I stop this or if I back away? Um, and I decided this week to say, look, for my own health, to really balance myself out, I need to cut it down to two videos per week. Yeah. And it's been freeing. And um, I, I, I love that idea because I think, you know, yes, as ministries and as ministers, we're pivoting, uh, but it's an ongoing process. It's trying to figure out what is the best thing to really put our effort and all of our impact in right now.
1: So- yeah. and, and, I'll, and I'll just add, add on to this about self-care. Being really present with my family has been the greatest mm-hmm. gift I, I can think of. This time is not without its silver linings. Uh, just a quick example. I, This sounds so dumb even to say it, but it's really been meaningful. Yeah. So uh, a couple years ago, my mother-in-law bought me, I love campfires. She bought me one of those outdoor fire pits Mm -hmm. and we used it once and hadn't used it again for two years. And I'm like, why aren't we using this? The kids love it. I love it. And so during the quarantine, we've had like 10 campfires and, and it's, it's just been It's a way that I can really be present and to not be thinking about everybody else's needs, which in the end is, is I think the right posture. Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself, I don't think I'm Jesus. Don't hear this, but the people don't need a savior. One's already come. Mm -hmm. I don't need to to do everything. Mm -hmm. I need to do what I can. And then I need to do what I can for myself and for my family if that means I need to not have that extra evening zoom meeting or whatever it is that's what I need to do in order to yeah. really be present and it was this whole thing has been a great reminder of how these little things can can really stack up in our hearts mm. and give us the kind of self-care and rest that we need
0: mm-hmm. yeah no I, I completely agree with it I know it's, it's even changed my relationship and my my connection with God in such a way, because I've realized for the, not so much for the first time, but even more so the idea that God, God loves me because of my being because who I am. And I think for so long as ministers, we're very much on productivity and getting things done and performance, that it's very easy to kind of feel like, well, God loves me because of what I'm doing instead of no, wait a minute, God just loves me. And there's that beautiful simplicity and, um, and power and freedom that comes from that. And it actually enables you to do things with so much more grace. What, I think the biggest thing is we never, you know, as ministers and as pastors, um, We're it's, it's more about, okay, how do I actually spiritually care for people? But we've never been in this position to really emotionally care for our team. What are some ways that your team development strategy has shifted because of this?
1: Well, I think we've spent a lot more time on, Mm -hmm. on just how are you doing questions? Yeah. And I want to model that with the team that I care more about them as people than whatever they're trying to do online with their particular ministry area. Like that's all well and good. But if we're totally depleted, we're no good for anybody. And so I want to be able to, I want my team to know that if they are feeling fried up, that they have permission to take a break. And I'm, we're not going to dock their pay. We're not going to, we're just not, it is what it is. And listen, if you need to back off, you have everyone's permission to do that. So we, part of it's just being really transparent about it and modeling the kind of behavior that we, that we are asking of them. So I'll go first. And I, in our uh, Tuesday staff meeting day, we had our meetings with our leadership team and our staff. And I started out by saying, I'm having a hard time right now. I'm kind of mm-hmm. done with this whole thing. And I feel really whiny, even complaining, because there are people who are truly suffering right now. But I got to admit, I- I'm tired of this way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it doesn't mean we're going to stop moving forward. I just want to be honest about where I am emotionally. Mm. And so we cultivate that as part of our team strategy. We talk a lot about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which I think is so powerful because it just, when you have that opportunity to really talk with your team and realize that, wait a minute, you know, I'm not just in a place of ministering, but I can be vulnerable. There's, there's that beautiful connection that you have where it's, well, I built that trust. You know, we have that strong team. What are some strategies that have really been a blessing for you? You know, it's, it's been chaotic. Um, I think a lot of us have sort of tried to create something out of nothing very quickly what are some things that you found that are so practical that have been so helpful that you want to really transfer into uh, into your ministry and into your strategic plan
1: well i think uh, one of the big areas that a lot of churches have kind of discovered or rediscovered is Mm -hmm. the power of online ministry but i'll i'll take that a bit further a couple of years ago i went to a, a leadership conference church leadership conference It was for pastors and executive pastors only. So I went and um, I remember sitting at a table and we're doing the introductions of who we all are, what churches we're from. And one of the pastors at the table introduces himself and he said that he was a virtual campus pastor for for a a church in the South. And I'm just, and I have to just admit, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) I was just like, what are you talking about a virtual (laughs) campus pastor i mean like it's like
0: how do you say this title with a straight face right
1: like what is (laughs) that and i remember totally scoffing at that but Mm. after after really doing this for a couple of months um i was wrong Mm. and here's why i'd been dragging my feet on getting our church to to do online streaming of worship and one of the reasons was because of quality i was worried because it's become such a front door for your congregation and people really making decisions on whether or not they're going to engage based on the quality of what you're putting out there. So I always wanted it to be good, but that really has slowed us down. Yeah. Now we were forced to just do it, just pull the, pull the trigger and do it. And what we've discovered through the combination of worship engagement, and, and that's the important thing. It's about engagement, worship engagement, small group engagement, um, uh, kids, you know, next gen ministry engagement, all of that, and what we're discovering is yeah it's a church campus it's you can foster discipleship real genuine discipleship virtually now as I say that I still think you can't replace physical gatherings I think the presence of the Holy Spirit share a shared experience of the moment I think that all is really really valuable and important and a big part of who we are as a church. That being said, I think when we all moved our ministries online, I think we all became multi-site churches. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think we need to cultivate the virtual campus because I think we're actually catching up to where the rest of the world is in that the rest of our lives are lived in kind of this hybrid integration of technology and physical gathering. So think about it. I sign my kids up for rec sports. What yeah. do I do? I, I go onto the website. I navigate the website. I pay my money online. I find out who my coach is. I find out when the practice times and game times are all virtually. And then I show up for practice or the game. It's a hybrid and it's seamless. I think church is going to look like that. I mean, it's going to be more of a hybrid, seamless Mm -hmm. experience. And I think everything we're doing now with online ministry is going to integrate or let's say needs to integrate into what we do in our physical gatherings.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. And I think one of the things that you've done that's been so good is I know we talked a little bit about before we pressed record is the idea that your church really is reaching those that are 25 to in their 40s. And that idea of generations really desiring that hybrid, that connection, um, even when I first actually checked your church out, it was on Instagram. That was the first thing that I looked at. And so there was there was that idea of the expectation of, okay, what is, what is our social proof? How do I actually connect with this? How do I see it before I experience it face-to-face? So what are some ways and some tips that you would give pastors that want to reach that age range of 25 to 40?
1: Yeah, so... I think one of the temptations, or here's what not to do, Mm -hmm. is to just take everybody's best practices and just try to apply them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we learn a lot from best practices, and I think they're really valuable, but it's really the why behind it that gets to the real secret sauce of how your church can reach out generationally. Um, I actually, for me, in all of my work on church revitalization and, and everything is really grounded in the scripture in Acts on the day of Pentecost. I think there's a foundational call to the church in that the very first gift of the Holy Spirit was the gift of translating the wonders of God into the language of the people. First mm-hmm. gift. I think there's a reason that was the first one. I think we are all called to translate the wonders of God into the language of the people. It could be ethnic languages, mm-hmm. but mostly here in America, it's generational languages. And I think if we can understand what each generation, what are their, what are their pain points, What are the things they think about? How do they view the world? You know, I have to understand that my grandparents' generation is probably not going to be the Disney Plus generation. And I have to understand, like, how do they consume content? How do they, what are all the things that make them them? And then ask, how do I bring the gospel to them, translating it in a way that they understand? So you have to do some homework. But the thing is, then, if you do your homework, there's like, Endless possibilities of how to reach each generation. I mean, you could go through. I mean, what are the different values of of each generation? If you start younger, you know, uh, the Millennial generation, gets all sorts of press, and then a lot of people get wrong, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, the Millennials." Remember when when the lockdown happened, and there's all those kids on the yes, beach? and they're like the Millennials, like, dude, those aren't Millennials. They're
0: not Millennials. They're Gen Z. That's
1: Gen Z. Yeah. Like, what's, so, do your yes. homework, anybody? But, yeah. um There's a lot of great resources out there to help you with this, but let's just real quickly about gen z they are fascinating they are really fascinating generation in a lot of ways they share more in common with their grandparents mm-hmm. than they do with their parents they actually uh they're both traditional and nonconformist. they're traditional and non-traditional they they for example will, will see the importance of the family but they'll have a different definition of what the family is than their grandparents' generation. They share a lot of the same things. There's some great resources on this. Uh, actually, one, one is uh, called Marketing to Gen Z. It was a first to market book on how to market to this generation. And it's fascinating. It's Jeff Fromm and um, it, it was co-written. But it's got all this stuff about like, you have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I know Kara Powell talks about this in Growing Young. It talks about warmth is the new cool your congregation has to be warm and accepting Mm -hmm. of this generation for who they are the technology that's not what wows them Mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe for millennials or generation xers like me technology at one point had a wow factor Mm -hmm. not anymore Mm -hmm. but the thing is they expect you to have it Mm -hmm. so they're not wowed by the fact that you have uh, great audiovisual, or wow wowed that you have Wi-Fi in your building. They just expect it to work. Yeah, yeah. But really what draws them is what it's always been, mm. the power of relationship, which every church in America is awesome. probably teed up to do. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's been interesting to see where it's almost like, you know, you look at you know Millennials, Gen Z, we had that idea, we wanted the experience, we wanted to step in and be transported. In a sense it was almost the idea of escapism. But I think for Gen Z, it's the environment. Are you willing to walk with us? And that, in a sense, it's, yes, it is pastoring, but it's so much more discipleship. It's being with them for the long haul, um, and it's walking alongside them with this journey and it's been it's been a lot because it takes longer to get them to trust you to get them to to work alongside of you, uh, but when you have them, they're highly loyal um and they're it's a wonderful generation to work with it's been interesting, but they're but they're a um they're a conundrum in many ways totally and,
1: and we don't have it all figured out, but no. but that's the point it, You just got to mm. keep asking the questions, and the questions look like in each ministry area, depending on what you're doing generationally is. Mm how are how are they viewing the world and how do we bring the gospel how do we land the gospel there mm-hmm. how do we do that in a way that they understand yeah if the scary thing i think what scares most leaders off is well that means we might have to rethink everything we're doing and i say so be it
0: yeah mm. and that's that i think is a beautiful part of it rethinking your presentation does not reconstruct your belief And that's what people need to understand, where it's almost like you're not throwing your belief out out of the window, per se. You're taking, as you were talking about in Acts, you're taking your faith, you're taking your belief system, and you're saying, how do I make it sociological and anthropological to this culture, to this generation, so that they understand? And it's- The the message, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I was
1: just going to say, the message is never changing. Yeah. But the method is changing as fast as culture.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's an exciting precipitous. I feel like it's, you know, yes, it's chaotic. Yes, it's, it's awful what's happening, but it gives us as ministers and pastors the chance to be innovative and be creative and ask questions. And that's really going to lead us to the next steps. So wonderful conversation. Um, and for everybody watching and everybody listening, we will have all the links, especially to the great books that we talked about. Uh, but Jason, before I let you go, I just want to ask you a question. How are you personally finding hope through this?
1: for me it's knowing that jesus has brought us this far he's not gonna let us go now Mm. and and i do think you know suffering suffering is a wild thing um suffering we all want to know why it's happening or some people will say did god fall asleep Mm. why is he allowing all of this suffering to happen There are a lot of answers to those questions that are way above my pay grade. But I will say this, suffering clearly is a door that Jesus can walk through Mm -hmm. into our lives if we let him. And I often feel like when my kids were little and they're run around and maybe they get hurt and they'll, uh, when my kids were really uh, hurt, they would let me hold them and they put their little head into my shoulder and I always remember thinking, I would always hate that they were hurting, but I loved how I got to hold them. Mm. And I, I see that as an image of God. You know, God is my refuge and my strength. I see that it could be a really beautiful moment if we allow God to hold us through it. Mm. And anytime we let that happen, we are different on the other end. Mm. And that's, that's what gives me hope is that we individually and corporately will be different on the other end of this Mm -hmm. and maybe have a shot at greater Christ-like faithfulness.
0: Yeah, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you all of our listeners for watching. Again, this is Dr. Colleen Batchelder, your host of 30 Days of Hope. Join us again for another dose of hope.